Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hello? Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Everything is going pretty good. Good. I just ate uh, an aggressive amount of sushi a little bit ago. From where? There's a place on Providence Road called uh, Jinbu. And I would say that it's average, but it does exactly what I want it to. Yeah, I don't pretend to be a sushi connoisseur, you know, and I know that someone who knows the ins and outs of it probably would turn up their nose at my choices, but I love it, you know, and like, and I don't even care. I think the stuff that I like is just some of the best. And Beth and I had some a couple of weeks ago and it's the first time in a long time. And yeah, it's amazing. It's one of those things that you just, you go into the feeding frenzy and you don't stop because you know, if you give even five minutes of a break, you're gonna fe- you're gonna feel how much rice you just ate. Um, so. Are you are you a wasabi guy? A little bit, yeah. Every now and again. Yeah, that's fantastic. I was going to be super impressed if when I asked you where from, if you had made it at the house by yourself. <laughs> if you think there is one like square inch of counter space in my house right now to do anything, let, let alone a clean enough area to be able to make my own sushi. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I want to go ahead and clear the air. I've been getting a lot of texts about this and a lot of calls and concern. I appreciate the concern. Um, the report did come out this week uh, that a, quote, well-known North Carolina pastor uh, urinated on a woman in a flight um, back from Detroit. And I just want to say right from the jump, it was a big misunderstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is that a true story? Yeah. Yeah, it actually is. They haven't, (laughs) they haven't named the pastor yet. Um, But uh, that is true. What I just said is accurate. Now, I, 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 what's not accurate is that I have not been on an airplane in eight months, but uh, so it definitely could not have been me. And I've all, I'm also not well known, so uh, those two things helped me a lot. My alibi, but was wow. uh, was accurate. It was accurate. How if it was someone well known? How is it not leaked yet? <laughs> <No pun intended>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, both, I both want to hang up on you and hug you at the same I, time. To my defense, I genuinely did not intend that ending to the sentence when I started it. Because what I was going to say is like, it's not like there's, I don't know, a, it's not a hundred well-known pastors in this state. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, they know who it is. that They just haven't released the name. But And the woman who it happened to, she... <laughs> She said she woke up <laughs> to it happening. And uh, anyway, they, they interviewed her, but she hasn't leaked it either. I'm God at Steve. Why did you say that? That 
that, I, that never mind. It does work. <laughs> Those two things work. It's a joke. Whatever. Um, anyway, so I, I, we don't know who it is. Man, this there are families that are going to be hurt by this. It's not funny, but good grief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now uh, that I'm more thankful than uh, than concerned about it, just because I, I needed this story to happen in 2020. <laughs> just a brief little break. This is like page ten in 2020, though. You know, <laughs> yeah, it won't, dude. We won't talk about this ever again. That it won't <clears throat> even it won't even come up in. Uh, everything with everything that's happened in 2020. No, I guess, I guess if you've ever wanted to try something like that, <laughs> this is the year to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, because you know, like PR people, if there's some scandal that comes out or some allegation or something, the play is what they tell them, I guess, is just go totally silent, just go dark for a year. Now right. that's like go dark for three weeks. <laughs> like America may not even be a country when you come back up for air. No problem. Right. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I need you to know that I have since Tuesday been, uh, I've been thinking about telling you that hoping that you would not know. No, I did. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> um, in perhaps the most strange transition yet, should I read the text? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, parenthetically, I'll let you know that uh, the Braves are up two nothing right now on the Dodgers in Game Seven to take us to the World Series. Did you grow up a Braves fan? Yeah, my grandfather was a. He called Braves games, um, and like a he was an an announcer or a commentator or whatever. I oh, think wow. just I think just an announcer, um, but like all the way back when they had stuff called ticker tape. You know what this is? I know the phrase, but I don't know. I can't remember what it is. So it's basically like if. Uh, if he, if he was going to call a baseball game that had already happened, he would have a, a this piece of ticker tape that was like this skinny piece of paper that was super long, and it would have notation on it that would mark balls and strikes, runs and everything. And so he would call an entire game that had happened already as if he was there. Deep right field! Like, he's just by himself in a room, no, <laughs> like just reading a piece of paper. No kidding. Yeah. And, and you know, that they would do like, you know, have like sound effects for crack of the bat and all that kind of stuff. Um, he said if it was like a particularly long uh, at bat, he would just, uh, he would just take pitches out. You know, like if there was somebody three, two count, like seven fly balls, uh, foul balls in a row, that's not going to be mentioned in the, uh, in the broadcast. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I had no idea. Yeah. So, well, two things. I didn't know that was a thing, and then I didn't know your grandfather did that. Yeah, we, we watched hundreds of baseball games together. He used to pick me up from uh, 
like preschool and kindergarten and first grade, I guess, uh, from school. And he would bring me home. Weirdly enough, we would stop at a little hole in the wall Chinese restaurant uh, a lot of days and we'd come home. I'd take a nap or watch TV or whatever. And uh, we'd finish the baseball game together. Huh. All right. Matthew twenty two fifteen to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. So you mentioned, um, as we were talking about this earlier in this week, that you know this is a text that we we both have have addressed, whether it's in sermons or I don't think we've done it in the podcast, but we've talked about this from a couple different angles, um, and so. But I thought of I thought of a couple of different ways that maybe we could engage this in a in a in a way that maybe we haven't um, so far. And the first thing is just basically these Pharisees and Herodians that came to Jesus with this question. It's almost it's so there is a context out of which they are are this question arises, but, but the thing that just really struck me about it this week is how current, not the question itself is, but the, the motivation or the, the, the way in which this question was asked, because if you are having a conversation with someone currently, would you say that of people that you engage with will say that they are open to hear what the other person is saying and that they are, well, I'm just the type of person who likes to ask questions and I like to hear the other opinion. Um, Don't you think most people say that? I think everyone would certainly say that. Yeah. But, but the ratio should be reversed and probably 0.1% people actually are doing that right oh i mean i almost always go to like online discourse which i guess is understandable given that we haven't been in person with people in a long time but definitely online this kind of performative like well i just want to ask a question i just want to there to be discourse about this i just want to play devil's advocate i just want to you know whatever and in reality it's just pure posturing. It it is it's, got, it's gotcha rat. situations. Right. Yes. The motivation for these so-called question these askers of question, both in this text, but also in very much in the current culture, is motivated by entrapment. Right. It's it's motivated by 
exposing the other person in a way that they cannot recover from. Like they want to expose they the view is that the person you're engaging with at the core of who they are is this deeply seated evil that has led them to think differently than you. Right. And so my job is to come with these innocent questions that are out of this motivation to entrap so that I could expose that root evil that I know to exist at the core of you. Right. Yeah. It's and, very clear. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you would ask me, you know, if I would ask you, Hey, you know, do you think, uh, you think we should do something about climate change? And, you know, you just innocently say, well, I think maybe we might look to move more toward renewables or something like that. And then my response is like, Oh, so you hate the people in the coal industry. So you want their <laughs> so you want their children to starve. Did you did everybody hear that? Joseph Phillips. You, you want a hundred cities in West Virginia to be gone right now. Yeah. <laughs> and and like literally, like I feel like I have just exposed this evil within you through these entrapment. You know, it's just it's so frustrating. Um, and I think the most frustrating thing about it is the unawareness that that most of us carry when it comes to these types of engagements. Like, you know, when we read this text um, and we hear these people asking Jesus these questions, none of us put ourselves in the place of these Pharisees and Herodians. But my goodness, it's just such a clear picture of the way in which we're motivated um, in the way in which we go about our public discourse. It, it seems. Yeah, I do think that that's a that's a really good point of like are are we the people that are conferring together to try to entrap someone in a scenario that we we know what the outcome is going to be? Jesus obviously slips slips through it in this situation and and amazes them and wows them, but like is that kind of energy the thing that's animating us? Are we in that same position trying to do these gotcha moments to, you know, and essentially all we're doing is deepening the divide between us. Yeah. And it, but like you said earlier though, it's under this mask of, of trying to keep the conversation going though. And so we're the heroes in the situation because we are engaging the other side and we're trying to keep the conversation um, moving is a way that we can all learn, but but I think we're all aware of the motivation that is at the heart of a lot of what's happening. Well, then, when when we get exactly what we were going for, and somebody does react negatively, or there's some kind of sharp thing that's uh, what we say is met with some response that that's met with. Uh, then we just say, then it just is confirmation bias. It proves to us. It just makes us more uh, sure of ourselves. We we get to feel like ah, they, we, all we were doing is this, you know, these pure intentions to try to just move discourse along, and we just wanted to have this intellectual thing. And in reality, it's only posturing the whole thing. Yeah, I, the. 
so simple and it, you know and it sounds like it sounds demeaning to encourage people to do this because it should just be so obvious but but again myself and you know we all fall short in it of just genuine listening like asking the question with the intent of learning through the answer that is given right that, that's that's such a a useful but neglected skill i just saw this today online somebody posted something and it was uh I, I don't know who it was, but it was some older um, pro-life evangelical guy uh, that was pretty well known that has come out and said that he's voting for Biden, even though he's, you know, staunchly pro-life. And these are the reasons why. And it was just somebody sharing this article or this video. And uh, someone responded back immediately, you know, with something predictable. And he this guy, um, friend of mine in Georgia, he wrote a, a long response and he said, I, and it was really respectful. It was like, I appreciate that, you know, that you want to, that you care about this. I appreciate and, and share a lot of your values and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I hope that we can continue having any kind of discourse about this in a way that like, uh, acknowledges each other's humanity in this that we both want similar things it was like it was extremely well written and it wasn't performative it was like he was trying to be kind and uh the person responded back with something uh even more inflammatory and and short you know in response to like 10 par paragraphs and uh it's like this is just never this this is never gonna move forward this is just this these two people are not going to be able to engage in any kind of meaningful dialogue. And um, I think that's emblematic of a ton of uh, what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. Without, without that, without a doubt. So I think all of that is meaningful and, and, and worth considering the way that we kind of engage in discourse and how we move things along and the way we frame questions and, our intentions behind them or whatever. But ultimately there was a real question that was asked and Jesus did answer it. And so we should probably talk about that a little bit too then, huh? Yeah. I mean, this, there was a real situation going on here and, you know, with taxation and is it right to, to pay taxes to this foreign invader that, you know, to Caesar, um, it was a real situation that, that was part of, you know, part of what they dealt with. Um, and I'm sure that it was something that was part of the, the hidden conversations, you know? Um, and so even though that it was, even though the question was meant for entrapment, Jesus does respond. And of course, as always in a, in a brilliant way, when he says he asked for the coin ask, um, and, ask whose image is on the coin and of course they reply caesar's and then we'll give to caesar what caesar's but then the second part of that question then uh, or the answer give unto god that which is god's and with of course the reference being the image of god being stamped on every individual and this isn't a sacred secular divide 
moment. Like this isn't saying, you know, let politics be politics, but let church be church. Like, you know, do be be a citizen as long as you are able to retreat into your religious space. You know, give give God your worship songs, give God your tithes, um, but then also be a a fruitful participant in um secular society it's it, it's it's bigger than that it, it's the blurring of that line actually because because if you go back to the creation story and what the image of god represents it's a total engagement in the ongoing creation of the world and so there's no no category whether it be uh, you know political the way in which we organize ourselves the way in which we we do economics the way in which we do any of that None of that is removed from the responsibility of of furthering the way in which the image of God is brought into the world. I read a speech today uh, from Rowan Williams that he gave to the British Parliament, and he was talking about this text. And the thing that he said was, uh, not just give it back because it's worthless and meaningless or whatever, but but also because if you if you were uh if you have these coins it means that you are uh you are caught up in this system and you are a beneficiary of uh of the emperor of caesar and so because of that yeah you 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 should give back you know what's right what's right to do or whatever but ultimately that's situated within this much bigger thing which is like oh but your whole life is actually in this kingdom of God reality that's so much bigger and, and grander and and that costs so much more than just the simple coins that bear the image of Caesar. Yeah, it speaks to the it speaks to the lens through which we filter all of our decision making. Um and and it's never it's 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 hardly ever so simple that it is a choice between God or Caesar. Like right. there are moments, but it's, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more cloudy than that. Most of the time. Um, I mean, but, but that, that conversation is extremely current right now of, of what, what does government mean to us and, and where are we giving our allegiance and what, what do we do? I, I think this question is, you know, particularly urgent right now. It is, but that kind of, that brings up uh, a point that I was thinking about a lot this week when, when I, in regards to this. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to, how we easily get into it or, or, or what we'll, or we're about to launch into, but, but, the question that poses basically either Caesar or God as these two centralized points of authority and which one will you choose? It's almost idolatry in the sense that it's, it's giving too much recognition to the value of Caesar as an important given in the way in which the world should have been structured and so like and so i wonder that when jesus kind of says 
so when Jesus almost says flippantly, yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's almost revealing an attitude that that devalues Caesar as a reality in the world. Because it's almost as though this taxation is a problem, but what do you expect? Like, we warned you against this. We warned you against um, these centralized points of authority and what they will do. I mean, if you remember in um, 1 Samuel 15, when the people of God who were they were basically local communities being led by judges and priests. I mean, there were points of authority. This wasn't anarchy. I mean, there were, there was structure to the way in which they um, were operating. But they begged for a king. But they begged for a king. But you, rem- And then you remember, they wanted that centralized point of authority. And what Samuel warned them against in... Uh, First Samuel 8, he says, this is how a king will reign over you. Yeah, they'll the take your firstborn sons and lead them into war, and they'll die. Right. He'll take your grain. He'll take your food. He'll take your—he'll basically enslave you without enslaving you. Yep. You know? and, and so this is, what, this is what you get with these, these centralized—these over-centralized— places of authority and and god warned the people against this now of course they didn't choose caesar caesar is a um, caesar is a foreign power that is in control sure but but the israelites also structured themselves in this way through kings and by doing so they put themselves into into the game in a sense which led to their being suppressed by foreign authorities. Yeah, if you if you want a king that rules in this way, you know, beware. You, you'll end up being conquered and taken over. You'll you'll be you'll become a player in that system. Yeah, and I, so I to bring God's heart into the world to be an image bearer of God. This almost sounds like to some as being overly practical but I really do believe this. It's to value the local communities more so than the centralized points of authority. And it's almost become idolatrous the way in which we use the central points of authority to, as a vehicle to try to implement our specific ideologies as opposed to just living on a local communal level with whatever the equivalent of judges or priests, you know, of like with wise leaders leading local communities in in ways that um, still participate within the larger, the you know, the larger scale. Do you think that? Do you think that the 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 money, the thing that bears the image of Caesar on it? Do you think that that is kind of like a perfect metaphor? It's emblematic of the bigger issue that's at hand. And so, if you can't, if you can't give away tax money, if you can't let go of the thing that bears Caesar's image, because for you it represents power, it represents the th- you know being caught up in the system or whatever. Do you think that that is like representative of something that's bigger? Like it, it is the. Th- uh, 
I don't know. Sure. I, so like, say for example, there's 10 of us and you know, we just decide that a, a black rock is the most valuable thing in our village. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you grip tightly to that and hold on to it, it doesn't matter if the value of it itself is true. You have revealed who you are in regards to the rest of the community claiming what is valuable. And so does that somewhat answer what you just asked? Like, so if you are gripping tightly to the coin that has Caesar's image on it, you have revealed yourself. It shows where your allegiance is, what it, it, what you're putting your hope and faith into, not the local level kind of human relationships, uh, like being connected to the land and the earth and the systems that are actually governing our world, but to this fake thing, you know, that there are these manufactured coins that bear the image of some king or, you know, emperor or Caesar or whatever, uh, rather than kind of giving your allegiance to that which really matters. But to give your allegiance to God in a way that recognizes your vocation being an image bearer of God takes on that responsibility. Um, but it's so much easier to hand off the responsibility to an emperor and, and, and point blame or, you know, or to blame them for what's wrong, but also then run to them for hope and security as opposed to just owning the responsibility on a, on a smaller scale. This is, so this is something that I've been thinking a lot about and it's part of a, a of a bigger thing, but I'll use this snippet in this um, for for this. So, do you remember? Okay, so Pharaoh had the dream that they were about to face seven years of famine, right? Scarcity, yeah. Scarcity, yeah. And so Joseph interpreted that dream. So uh, I should have looked it up, but basically, what that he dreamed dreamed that there was seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, basically. And it was a sign that, and Joseph interpreted the dream and said that, that God said that there was about to be seven years of absolute abundance in the land, followed by seven years of, of famine. So it was revealed that there was going to be hardship. Like, and I'm not saying that this wasn't a specific dream for this moment, but the reality of it is that such is life. There are cycles of, of abundance and scarcity to some degree, right? Sure. Um, and, and, and suffering. And so I, I believe that God gave Joseph that interpretation, but then it kind of switches and Joseph is the one who suggests. It doesn't say that God told Joseph to suggest this. So Joseph then is the one that suggests that during those seven years of abundance, that all the food or the, all the excess is brought into the control of, of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that Pharaoh could then distribute in the next seven in the seven years of famine. So I think a wiser decision, even though it would have been harder 
it would have been a, a struggle worth implementing would be to create storehouses on the local level because it would not have entrusted the centralized authority with all of the food because I'm not going to get into it now, but what happened is that is the start of the snowball rolling off the, off the hill as to how the Israelites became enslaved to Pharaoh. And so I think then go to Samuel where Samuel warns the people like, don't you remember Pharaoh? Like you don't want a king, right? This is not something you want. You need God to be the authority and speak through the voices of these judges and these priests and, you know, just a much more, a much more personal face-to-face interaction amongst authority and, and the people. And, and believe me, I understand, like, I know that some of that's like, should be cause for like, well, yeah, ideally maybe, but you know, that's not the world we live in and that's not the world that they were living in when Caesar, you know, invaded and and took them over. And I understand all of that, but um, there's still these nuggets that we need to hold on to and understand what is worth pursuing and, and seeking to, to implement back into the world. Well, and maybe more succinctly, where where are we putting our hope? I mean, Joseph, you know, rose through the ranks improbably to the highest position to be able to make decisions like that and still implemented something that was, you know, benefited the empire rather than the people. And, well, he gave his brothers food, but... The, the decision, you know, was still rooted in something that was unhealthy from what you just said. And so for us, are we, you know, where, where are we placing hope? I mean, obviously, you know, give to Caesar what Caesar's give, give your tax money, go vote. And, you know, obviously engage in, uh, government and government life and all of that kind of stuff, but, uh, and do your civic duties and all of those things. But, where where are we placing our our hope and our work and our effort and all of that kind of stuff? Is that I don't know. I just think that I think that's the thing that is uh, kind of comes to mind from that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not a retreat out of out of society. It's it's participating in a new way, like you said, that pledges allegiance first to the implementation of this divine kingdom into the world. What kind of world do you believe that you're living in? What's your operating metaphor? What do you, you know, and I think that that um, has flipped. I think the, the, the level of importance on kings and presidents and, you know, our empire and our government and all of that kind of thing. Uh, I think that a lot of our, a lot of our hope is, you know, is going into something that isn't ultimate and that doesn't have the real capacity to bring about the things that we want, you know, goodness and justice and beauty and all these things. So, uh, sure. Yeah. You know, you're right. And, and, 
because I agree. I absolutely think that every one of us should should vote and be wise, wise voters and wise participants in all of all of our our political system. But can we step back and and look and see how revealing it is, how nervous we are about every election? Like, I know that this one is even more so. Sure. But go back to every election that I've ever remembered and you either come away thinking that all your hope will now find fulfillment based on who got elected into office or your anxiety levels go through the roof because of who got elected to office. And when we step back and we, we acknowledge that it's like, wait a minute, my goodness, yeah, participate in this, but where is our hope? Yeah. I, For whatever reason, I do think that people uh, think the stakes are a lot higher this time than, than ever before, and maybe that's true and maybe it's not. But I do feel a little bit of a sense that folks are starting to see through the kind of uh, the facade of the whole thing. If these are the two people that we are choosing from to run our country that we're, you know, putting all our hope and trust in, you know, it's, it's not a good situation. And of course, I think there's, I think there's a better choice. Uh, you know, I'm not going to derail this thing into go going into all of that, but it is a much smaller thing within a much larger thing called the kingdom of God. And that's where, that's the hope that we have is that there's going to be small communities and movements of, of people that are doing good that snowballs into something, you know, that's becomes unstoppable, but it's ultimately, it's not going to come from some politician. No, Jesus doesn't avoid the questions that he's asked, but he reveals that I'm not going to fall into your trap of thinking that the political allegiance is the pathway to peace or the pathway to hope. Like I represent something very different than the framework of your question. Yeah. Yeah. I reject the premise uh, in some ways as, uh, and, and I'll give you an answer, but ultimately, you know, his answer ends up wowing them because, you know, there's so much in there. Yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. And, uh, and oh, that means your whole life. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, you want to say a prayer for us? Sure. God, help us, Father, as we just seek to be the best citizens of your kingdom as, as we can. God, help us to God, engage in the way in which we need to when it comes to the way we structure ourselves politically, economically. God, but never in a way that forgets that ultimately our allegiance is to you. And that we do not bear the image of Caesar, but that we bear the image of God. That we are sons and daughters of the divine. Called to 
be in the world in new ways, God, bringing your goodness and your genuine true peace into places that desperately, desperately need your presence. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. Amen. You hear Maggie laughing in the background? Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, let me stop this.